When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. One of the most crucial components of addiction recovery is accountability. Part of what makes addiction so difficult is the inability to self-regulate. Now, this is especially problematic for those in outpatient recovery or pain management program. And while the facilities require regular urine tests to ensure compliance, frequently the actual tests are not even observed. And this led to an epidemic of falsified samples where patients either use someone else's urine or widely available synthetic urine. The result is a lot of addicts carry right on using undetected and they get none of the benefits from treatment. The only objective test we have for addiction is the urine screen. Now, recently, I learned about a new solution that virtually eliminates the possibility of faking tests, even in facilities where they are unobserved. This is called ToxProtect, a DNA verified drug test and lab service that provides 100% sample authenticity. ToxProtect was created by Genitox Labs can be used in place of any standard urine drug test. It starts with simple one-time cheek swab to establish the patient's identity. Once submitted, each subsequent screening uses DNA testing to verify that that sample matches the patient. In addition, ToxProtect screens for synthetic urine and irregular values that would indicate dilution or other adulteration. In other words, this pretty much guarantees accountability. I'm excited to see this service being used, and I think it, it will significantly improve an addict's chances for successful recovery. I'm going to be talking more about Genitox Labs and ToxProtect on future shows. Thankfully, ToxProtect is being used by more and more facilities every day. Be sure to ask for it by name wherever you or your loved one is receiving care. To get more information or share it with your facilities, go to drdrew.com slash ToxProtect. That is drdrew.com slash ToxProtect. Hey, this is Dr. Drew, and you are listening to This Life with Bob Foy and Dr. Drew. Here we are. Here we are again, ladies and gentlemen. Gather around, get Granny out of the spare room, get the iPad hooked up to the Bluetooth speaker, because it's another episode of This Life with Dr. Drew and Bob Forrest. It is indeed. Get a little business to get out of the way first. Don't forget to click through on the Hydrolyte banner, everybody, and uh, get that special discount there. Also, if you uh, like what we do here, uh, Lawrence Vaughn and I have a radio show every day, KBC 790. You can get the podcast version of that at kbcradio.com. She seems or so kind. I, I, oh, you met her? When, yeah, at your birthday party. She yeah. Said, I, have I met her before? Was she in your life before? Very peripherally. but she, she's, she's so a, kind. She's very, very smart. And she can be tough, too. She's a journalist. She's, she's good. Uh, but anyway, it's, and she'll take me on. Uh, so if you like our radio show, which we're new to three in uh, San Francisco and Los Angeles, KGO and KBC. Um, Can I uh, just say one thing? She and Je- Jeannie Buss were trying to be so genuine and thoughtful, yes, yes. and the and, whole night was not genuine and thoughtful <laughs> night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can get that on the podcast uh, at, at com. Also, uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Dr. Drew, at Rehab Bob Forrest, at This Life Podcast, at First Lady of Love, and join the email list at com. And do also check out the Opium series there. You, you will, If you want to understand how we got into this mess, we chronicle there in great detail. Uh, let's see. Is there anything I missed here? Everything good with you? 
I'm good. All right, let's bring our guest in. Guest is Carl Higby. He's got the Carl Higby, Higby podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Or go to Carl Higby, H-I-G-B-I-E. He's got a nice com. office, too. Look at uh, that. We're, we're looking at it. It's awesome. Uh, <laughs> My politics, man cave. News, yeah. right. Uh, hard-hitting opinion with most diverse guests. Uh, Carl's first book, Battle on the Homefront. Uh, he also has had three successful businesses, including the current consulting firm, a Merriman LLC. Do you have another book coming out? Enemies Foreign and Domestic, a SEAL story. Is that is that out already? So, uh, that one came out already. I got a third one coming out, but I can't say anything about it yet because we don't even we we finalize the title. Uh, what years were you a Navy SEAL? Uh, 03 to 2012. Wow, that was up to here. recent. Yeah. Are you yeah. able to talk about all the stuff you did or is it still stuff you can't talk about? Well, I mean, I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill all your listeners. <laughs> no, but we could uh, remain alive. That might be okay. That's cool. You guys are fine. Everyone else has got to go there. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I say, I tell everybody to go read the books because they're easy. I wrote them. There's no big words, you know, not a lot of pages. But, um, yeah, no, I could, I could talk about that stuff. I, was, uh, I had Rob O'Neill on my podcast the other day. We were talking about um, – how killing changes a person. And Rob O'Neill is the guy that killed uh, uh, Ola- Obama. Osama, yeah, yeah, no, not that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh my God, Drew. Freudian <laughs> slip. No, no, no. No, no, no. Not even Freudian. No, no. But uh, he, he's, a, he's got a great story. I heard him on Stern. Uh, just yeah, I heard him on he something just, else. Yeah, yeah. It's a great interview. So and how killing changes people in what sense? Because he was—he's he, not a happy camper about what's going on either. O'Neill. Yeah. Well, he, then, let's go back to the the uh, what you just said about killing, changing people. Because he was very matter of fact when he told about the, you know, ex- dispatching uh, Bin Laden. It was just it was just my job. Yeah. I was just the first guy there, and that was that. And then I went on and made right. sure he was dead, and then I went on. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were, I mean, we had a you know. Him and I have been, you know, we've been in a lot of bars and a lot of places, um, just being team guys. And uh, one of the things that we always hear, you know, Maxim Magazine did something about this a while back where they checked in. They were like, hey, you know, they went out to all these bars and they're like, what do people say when they're trying to pick up chicks? So they had some really good looking women go around and ask people. And out of like 10,000 people they asked, most of them said, Uh-oh. Or cops, whatever the hell that Wait, is. Wait, hold, hold on a second. Hold on. And, uh, We're losing Wi Fi signal. <laughs> Say it again. Your Wi Fi screwed you. up. Go ahead. Oh, no. So most people in that thing said that they were either SEALs or black ops or something. Um, of some sort, of some sort of, you know, variant of special forces. So, you know, they, they all talk about, well, you know, have you ever killed anyone? Well, I can't talk about that. Let me tell you. Let me be the first one to tell you. Anybody who's ever killed anybody does not sensationalize it, but we're not going to say, oh, I can't tell you about it. Yeah. Because the first, yeah, I mean, like, look, I've killed a ton of people and I'm happy to talk about it. I just want people to embrace the fact that it's not glamour, you know, glory and video games. It, it changes you. I mean, it changes you a lot. In what ways? Um, so the first time I ever um, gave someone a dirt nap was 2007 in Baghdad and we just, you know, we were held up on a street corner. They started shooting at us. We started shooting back at them. And it's as fast as you can process the situation. You right in that, in that moment in time, training kicks in. You're like, okay, I got to return fire faster than they can get me. You kill them and it doesn't hit you till afterwards. And afterwards you're like, dude, I just changed the entire course of a family tree. Right. I mean, like everyone's got family out there. You know that if you like, imagine if you were to just die, yeah. Like how many people that would affect. And you, when you get back home and you get back to the base, you're on the helo on the way back. You're like, Oh geez, man. I'm like, uh, you can't, I, you can't even, even put that in words that you've now just completely altered the course of 
a significant number of people. Yeah. And it's not like a guts and glory, Hollywood sensationalized thing. It's like, man, I did this and you know what? I did it for, you know, to defend my country, but let's just make sure that we were, I mean, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta process it. And, and it screws a lot of people up, I think. And being a SEAL, I was fortunate enough to have significant training to prepare me mentally and physically for that. But I'll tell you, it, it, you know, it's something you don't forget about. You don't go on and, and brag about it, but you do think about it. And I've based like significant decisions in my life about, you know, anything from business to anything, rationalizing the fact that, you know, at one point or another, I took someone's life and you, it makes you live life to the fullest. Well, it's it makes you, push you, you tell us about the first one, right? That's the one that stands out for you. Mm. I have two, the first one and another one, which is like incredibly unfortunate. It was probably one of the hardest things I, I had to cope with. And, um, we had a, a, we were in a pretty bad area of Northern Baghdad called Sadr city. And these parents, they sent a kid out Ugh. with what appeared to be an SVS, a suicide oh, vest. And, you know, me and this other guy were on this corner and I'm just like, dude, don't do this, man. Don't, you know, and, and I'll say like a lot of people make us out to be like, the, oh yeah, you know, you headstrong, tough guys. And you know, you, all you do is go out there and kill back. It's like, yeah, you know what? Like sometimes it's the worst job in the world because, you know, they send this kid out there and I'm yelling and the guy on the street corner is yelling with me and we're trying to get him to stop, trying to get him to stop. And can't be more than like six, seven years old. Ugh. And we're, you know, we, put two rounds on the ground. We put two rounds up in the air, trying to get him to notice. And the parents were like shooing this guy out there, shooing this kid out there. Uh, and you know, we had to, we had to put the kid down uh, and turns out it wasn't even a real S fest. Uh, it was just a wire. Uh, and you just like telling that story, like my eyes water up. It's just, gut-wrenching man i mean it really is I mean, like so, we talk about this stuff on some, my podcast too a lot so then what so ultimately let's backpedal to the first one ultimately uh, i heard you say i did it for my country and to me you know is it for country in another sovereign nation that we chose to invade i mean i'm not the uber liberal that you think i am but this, <laughs> no i'm not i know you're not but, i know but you used to be but but that <laughs> What is America to you? So, you know, the thing is at 24 years old, I think it was 25 years old, you know, I'm sitting over there. I'm like, you know, I'm sent over here. The broad picture is here to fight for my country, the safety of my country. I mean, I was in college. I was in, I graduated high school um, in 2002 and was thinking about going to the military then, talked to recruiters, ended up doing a year and a half of college when, you know, was wrestling in college. And as soon as we started putting major boots on the ground, that's when I dropped out and joined. Right. And I, uh, I, you know, you get the notion that you are there defending your country's interests. Now, in that instance, it is, you know, mano y mano. It's you versus another person. Right. And it's, you know, but you're over there and you have to rationalize the whole thing. It's like, yeah, that guy was shooting at me, but why was he, like, it runs through your head. You know, subsequent ones aren't as bad. But the first one, the first time I took a life I just took this guy's life and I was sent over here by my government told to, you know, kill bad guys. And yeah, he was shooting at me, but why was he shooting at me? I mean, you, you kind of second guess yourself and it, it, it's tough to deal with. That's what, I, that's what I'm saying. So you have to believe in the mission. And here's the thing that's interesting and why it's so topical. We have pe- apparently one or more people in the chain of command of the military and the national security team that are saying they are not following chain of command. They don't believe in the mission. Now, that's insubordination. 
Yeah. Right, I think it's chicken shit insubordination oh, myself. Yeah. Oh, but, we can go there with language. But so then, that makes things a lot easier. For so what me. does <laughs> what does somebody who's unquestionably defended his country think of that? I, I have a real problem with insubordination. Yeah, I have a real problem with it. So you're talking about the the uh, yeah, this letter to op-ed, op-ed piece. piece. Yeah. It's bullshit, yeah. dude. I I went I went off on that guy. Uh, um, you think he's I, military? You know, that was actually to be like my best podcast I ever did. No. Right, dude. He's so not, I, I, he's I've got not narrowed, military. I've got it narrowed down to. Two, I've got it narrowed down to two people. I'm not going to say who they are because I have no basis, Dan no Coates. evidence. But it's just a Dan good Coates. Let's say it, Dan Coates. <laughs> so I have no evidence <laughs> to. I have no evidence. So you know, I like to I like to put things forward with evidence, but at the same time, like you've got. A ton of people in that White House that are not on Trump's team. And it downright pisses me off. And I said, loyalty is more important than qualifications right now in this White House. Because just about any dummy can pick up most government jobs and get it done. And I don't even know what job they're doing. Yeah, I don't like look, I was I was a senior appointee for I, I was the face of CNCS, which is Corporation uh-huh. for National Community right. Service. So I, I essentially ran that agency in, in the absence of a CEO because she hadn't been confirmed by the Senate. Hmm. And I was spent more time walking around the damn office, finding out who to talk to about, you know, who to turn on, who, you know, who turns on the heat or you know, who do I call to get this done? I mean, it's just like unbelievable. So this is, yeah. this is the, the bureaucracy of Russian Dostoevsky era bullshit. This is ridiculous. This government. Oh, it's, it's, it's insane. I mean, the government to me has serious problems with, uh, efficiency, you know, like that's actually my my third book is harps into that, but my first book does does too, and I talk about how you know we're in a let's take oh I don't know the EPA for example the EPA like every presidential candidate Republican at least has said well I'm going to cut it or I'm going to get rid of it or something like that and um, and then everyone goes in like I mean you had even under Trump you had. Scott Pruitt embodied in controversy. You had before that you had, uh, didn't they dump like 14,000 gallons of toxic waste into some river in, in Colorado? I mean, the government is lecturing and finding people. They're also instituting new laws around Congress with an entire enforcement arm against you. That's like, I mean, this is the bureaucracy but that we've this the bureaucracy that led to the Russian revolution, isn't it? Well, what, you're you're the historian. Tell it because every time there gets to be a bureaucracy like this, that makes no sense. And now at the highest halls of government, people can just not follow the chain of command and be insubordinate, and part of the population cheers. Yeah, that no, that's I, I, something listen, has to be done. I, I agree with you. There's, there's no faith in our institutions, no faith in our systems, no uh, no respect for authority, uh, and you know, in terms of the fact that people are fearful to speak their mind, that's creeping totalitarianism. People are literally afraid to, to, afraid to tell their opinions and because of yeah. being called whatever. So I just wondered if that's a disillusioning thing over time where, you know, I was not happy that we weren't going after bin Laden. I don't know how you felt. I The day it happened, I knew it was bin Laden. I was kind of obsessed with bin Laden and Middle Eastern policies, right? And when mm-hmm. the second plane hit the second building, I was like, that's bin Laden. Yeah. So everybody knew who it was. I'm, I'm a dumb, you know, junior college drug counselor, and I know who it is. <laughs> so... So why were special ops not sent to Bor- Tora Bora, find him and kill him? No, at any at any yeah. means by any oh, means see. necessary. And well, instead of this 
18 month propaganda weird thing that led to you know I, I have a brother-in-law who's high up in the military and he's like right now he said you know the the Saudis the, that new prince in Saudi Arabia he's just going to take over he wants Silicon Valley you don't want to be in America move to Saudi Arabia I mean mm-hmm. there we are showing weakness like never before and certain and there are people going to take advantage of this we got the, them off his back off off the Saudis back yeah right well. Yeah, but the the other thing too is like there's twofold efforts on the Osama bin Laden thing. Is like one were they keeping him alive? To I mean, they had there were numerous attempts. Now you know there's a lot of people out there that don't want to sacrifice political capital or political you know or, or tactical success for political gain. And um, were they keeping him alive to extend the war effort for other reasons? I don't know. I'm not like a big conspiracy. Were you up guy. in Tora Bora? No. So uh, was, uh, is it, is it this unbelievably unpenetratable area that you can never find anybody? Go up there with about $50 million in cash and a bunch of military. I'll bet you can find him. Yeah, well, the other, I mean, you don't even need fifty million. You need a million dollars cash. But also, here's <laughs> okay, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. But here's the other thing too: it's like we're we're the United States of America. I mean, people are like, oh my god, we got to watch out for our civil war with the or a war with the Russians or North Korea. I was like, look, you know, North Korea has a bare bones military compared to what we have. Our mili- like our aircraft carriers can launch planes like every minute. They can drive they can go the speed of an average like parkway in America. They have five thousand troops on them, five hundred aircraft. They're surrounded by fifteen other ships. And we have eleven of those groups. We will stomp anyone. I don't know, like American military might needs to be on full display. And we sometimes we need to use it. Like we need to stop being so politically correct. And you know when you when you go to war, you fight to win. You don't tiptoe around like i was building schools in 2009 under obama i was like i'm a navy seal i'm not a carpenter right so where where do we go what's what's your message where, where do we go because i'm confused i think i i come from the left migrated towards the center drew was at the center and the center left him and now he's just there <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's right. and and there's Stand so many there are show. i bet you there's 50 million 75 million of us yeah. I, I want to call it the radical center. Yeah. Like enough of these nonsense fringe groups. The center of this country, I just went to yeah. Milwaukee. I just went to New Jersey. I just went to West Virginia. There's these great people. And they, yesterday I was in Milwaukee and a guy said, I'm so tired of people not listening to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Like that. So, so I, uh, I always have this feeling that good will prevail, but how? Yeah. Well, I, you know, I had on my podcast, Sally Cohn. Do you know who she is? No. No. She's a CNN, like she's a lesbian on CNN who I disagree with 95% of the things that say. I had her on. We had a great conversation. We didn't agree on much, but we had a great conversation because people like incivility is so, you know, so prevalent now. Yeah. If you disagree with someone, it's shout them down. I don't want to have a conversation with you. If you're, if you're a Republican, you're racist. If you're a liberal, you know, like people, I just, I mean, it's like. It just goes around and around and around. And I want to have the – like I'll debate any person, anytime, anywhere, any form, any question, any moderator. And It's the only, I, like, it's the only self-correcting mechanism we have. But we all need to relate to another. So when you were talking from a di- completely different world, different mindset of mine of, of, of being responsible for the death of somebody else and what how that yeah. affects you and, and just how elegantly you put 
that that person has a mother, that person has a father, that person has children. I, in the drug rock and roll world, was around a lot of death that I felt semi-responsible for. And you, and so when you were talking about that, I could relate. Like I know those feelings. Right, right, right. Yeah. And I just think we need to help. I don't know. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying, though, Drew? Yeah, I get you. Listen, I get it. And so. So I, you know, my idea is that us, us centrist, uh, that us more logical, reasonable people, let's say, and we do have very differing views, but we can be civil. Like I always think my ideal of America at its best is Tip O'Neill and Ronald Reagan. Mm. It couldn't be two more polar opposites of what direction they want the country in, but they were buddies. Mm -hmm. They were respectful of each other. Mm -hmm. Right. What happened to that? I tell you what happened with that. It's, you know, the, the left was getting their way under Obama for quite some time. And then you had the guy, Donald Trump, who was so starkly. I mean, look, I'm on the Trump train. I'm a MAGA guy. I was there day one. I've been in the administration. I, the, the dude could do almost nothing to lose my support. So that said, he came out so starkly different from Obama and started taking a swing at everybody who'd been, quite frankly, getting their way for, you know, politically for eight years and now they, you know, a lot of them have been told that they are owed, that they shouldn't, that they should have it their way. And it's, you know, racist, bigot, homophobe to think different than them. And that, I mean, that's where the discourse started. Like, look, I've gone and given speeches places and I always tell people, I'm like, hey, look, you know, like, let's have this debate. Let's talk about it. Let's be civil. Because if you don't want to be civil, I was in the business of incivility for nine years and it's not going to end well for you. But but they the the uncivil sort of discourse they'll blame on on Trump. Like right, he, he, you started it with this. No, you know I think it was a big mistake to get Obama out there. But the but the left doesn't Recently? have anybody to talk. Yeah, no, I kind of feel like having him out there is a good idea. No, it's it's just going to cause. I mean, it's good for us. He's he's, <laughs> he's what if you want to directly say why did trump happen it's obama as to why trump happened yeah right i, I don't know i don't know that it i i i you know i think more of the post-structuralist movements on college campuses and things becoming the thought police that's really where it all came from those people weren't bright enough to see that obama wasn't what he was presenting himself to be but i don't think they cared they, they no he's their golden child yeah he's their bright yeah, beacon but, on the hill but, but they went ahead and this, they they affected they I'm now talking about the the intelligentsia on college campuses the college the, the the culture in such a way that it became um, this is where it all started it's where the discourse broke down you know how the Republicans get the blame for Trump and they coddle him and they don't stand up to him and whatever Damn. I have a feeling what's going on in college campuses is administrations are are coddling these students monsters Absolutely. and and th- now they've created this monster that's out of control and they can't control it much like McConnell and Ryan couldn't control Trump it's 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 this you talking creative, about the, the faculty or the students the faculty, the faculty can't control the students the real well, radical stuff is coming from the students yeah. well the faculty's encouraging it they create so yeah. so did not allowing a supreme court justice to be put on the but McConnell what McConnell did under Obama that was wrong yeah Right? right. So, so they they were the framework of which they didn't expect Donald Trump to walk in and take over. I think they yeah. wanted Jeb Bush or yeah. somebody they right, could right. control. Yeah. Right. Yep. And I think the administrations of these these propaganda machines, these institutions, these colleges, the, the last thirty years, they've wanted kids that they could 
control and now they can't control them and now really? they're getting fired and having to resign because they well this you is understand true. Listen, the whenever, woman at claremont college i know but whenever the guillotines come out it eats itself it's yeah it's, it's a, Jac- I'm a victim it's, of it man. yeah it's the jacobins then it's the saint culottes and then it's the it's just the way it is in the french revolution everybody gets up on the guillotine if you bring out the if you start talking about chopping off heads which is what goes on in the, in the mob discourse on twitter which is chop off heads they need yeah. to lose their job they're out they need to be destroyed they need to be just ostracized you're eventually it's coming around to you who are the eventually. tough here's an interesting thing bill maher did something about al franken on friday i didn't see it but i saw it on Isn't twitter that example the guillotine's so coming out? who no but who are the teflon people obviously trump is trump is yeah. teflon is bill maher teflon can he say not anything much, but he got he can't his abc show got canceled canceled no, yeah. no, not HBO, ABC. Oh. But you yeah. understand who on the left is – so Obama is Teflon. Yeah, uh, well, comedians. I mean like look at look at what um, Sarah Silverman gets away with with uh, Melissa McCarthy. Like, I mean look, Michelle Wolf, she was a terrible comedian. That's probably why so she got So now you said all women. So are women Teflon in this no, no, point no. in history? No, no, no. <laughs> No, no I don't think well, so. Well, Dave all. Chappelle has a really great thing. He says, like, I can say shit that white comedians can't say. Yeah. That's the and double standard, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I mean, look, here's the thing is, like, I had to resign from the administration because CNN did th- ran 36 hit pieces on me on their primetime shows. Didn't invite me on once to talk about it, by the way. And they took, you know, two minutes of my entire life over four years of radio shows disregarded the fact, you know, I'm racist, bigot, homophobe, they say. But what they failed to understand is like simultaneously, I was like sponsoring my Muslim Iraqi interpreter for citizenship. I did mission trips in high school to Central America. Like I was literally the face for community service for the United States of America. Like the narratives don't add up, but it's the the mob rule. I mean, and that's, I think what that, that's what brought Donald Trump in is because people were like, I'm so tired of weenie, spineless, worthless politicians. I want someone who's going to go in there and I want things that someone's going to shake it up, blow it up and, and, Punch people in the face, proverbially. I think that's right. I think he's right. I think and that's then, exactly so. The, what but, but then what? What after that? I know. That, that's, that's, that's the that's, question. I wonder that too. Right. Well, but, some. I think it's simultaneous. Like what he's doing now is. I mean, he is literally breaking the spack of the system, which is great. I mean, you sometimes you got to break system, it before you, you know. Fix. But but this bureaucracy, I feel, is like that. That character in the terminator it will just reconstitute itself oh yeah as it's soon as but eventually like you know like after time during that movie they shoot it so many times that it starts short-circuiting it's a little weirded out and then finally they dump in that molten pit by I the mean, way I, I own a harley davidson solely because of that movie well you um, might you might be alive you're a lot younger than me and drew i don't think we're gonna be alive when it starts short until it starts yeah. short no i think it's, it's already short-circuiting because you're what you're seeing is you're seeing this rise. Like, I talk to political consultants every day. I, I, you know, I run campaigns all over the country right now for people. And I talk to consultants every single day. And they all say, oh, my God, we're so – like all inside the beltway. We're so worried about losing the House. You know, it, It's going to go to the Democrats and this and that. I'm like, walk 15 miles outside the beltway, dude, and get someone else's opinion. Because you know, one of the guys I know, a great respect for him, great guy, super smart, knows more about politics. He's forgotten more about politics than I'll ever know. But at the same time, I'm like, dude, you're wrong. The American people, you cannot pull the Trump factor. You cannot, people, like my, I know people, like a dozen people that are 
got drunk with them at a bar one night and they're like, Hey man, and these are liberal de la liberal people. And they'll get drunk at a bar with me and I'll, they'll come, Hey man, don't tell anybody this, but I actually voted for Trump. Wow. You know, and well, if they I, found that they're I, can say, friends, I can say I didn't vote for him, but Nate, the man behind our board right now can know that in June of 2016, I said, I kind of want him to get elected. It's going to be the greatest reality show ever. <laughs> well, it's right. the nuclear <laughs> option. Little did you know. Huh. Yeah. You know, the, the, but there's so many missteps that, that are, going to haunt him the the separating of children it backfired well but listen it, there's there's other things too which because I, I was always a states rights guy and now we have the federal government kind of pulling back and allowing states to do their thing we have states like california running amok oh yeah are you in california carl no i'm in the socialist republic of connecticut on the other side well <laughs> we, we have the people's republic of california here so so it's it's way worse than Connecticut, I assure you. It's way mm-hmm. worse. We we spend seventy five billion dollars on a train, so called fast train that's not fast from nowhere to nowhere, and it's yeah. and it's not going to be built. Period. That's just awesome. That's just epic. Yeah. I um I mean we have the same junk in Connecticut. I mean like Connecticut is fifty out of fifty in job creation. Our governor Dan Malloy, who's on his way out, it's an open seat this go around. He is the worst ratings. Ever of any governor, Republican or Democrat, it's like eighteen percent or something like that. We have eight thousand families, and they tried to ban these the what they the AR fifteen style rifles. They put a bill like after the Sandy Hook thing that banned them. And if you read the bill in its entirety, not a single one thing, and not a single measure in that entire bill would have stopped any aspect of Sandy Hook. I'm like, yeah. Jesus. That's well, that's been gun control. You know, I I got off the gun control bandwagon when I started realizing in these opioid overdose death statistics. More mm-hmm. people die every year from drug overdoses than from gun violence, suicide, and car accidents combined. Why are we not talking about the opioid epidemic as a with crisis the same with the same urgency yeah. and same political expend, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. expending it's the kind of energy dramatic. that we do? And it's simple. The the victims of gun violence are innocent, are innocent yeah. and the drug addicts are not. Duplicitous, yeah. And, and yet, we're still losing 72,000 yeah. in 2017. 72,000 people yeah. don't exist simply yeah. because America doesn't have a drug policy. Yeah, like, any hey, look, my, my uncle's one of those statistics. Oh, like, my God. I, I'm I sorry. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it's terrible. And the problem is, is you know, it's twofold. One, it's ir- personal irresponsibility. But two, sometimes people are get addicted through, you know, whatever, um, you know, like prescription drugs and things all, like all that. All the time. That's mostly yeah. what we're dealing with. That's mostly yeah, exactly. is, is generated and by my profession. Like I've recently gotten involved in like the CBD industry a little bit, but it, uh, you know I'm still learning a lot about it. But I think that like the, what what doctors have done with this prescription, like look, I was I was in the military. Like, no matter what happens, like I, I remember one night I stepped in a hole and pulled my knee, and I was like, "Ow, it hurts." You know, I'll take a Motrin. I they were like, "Here's a Percocet." Like, uh, okay, yeah. I get in a helicopter crash and fall like you know, you know 100 feet down. We crash and you know, what they call the hard landing, you know, I thought my spine was broken. Like, oh, here's a Percocet. So like you step in a hole, you get in a helicopter crash. They're prescribing the same thing. Yeah. Are Percocets generic? Yeah. yeah. Why didn't you get Oxycontin? You're a Navy SEAL. God damn it. That's the thing is like, I was like, well, you're going to give me all these meds and then you want me to go sling a gun around within four hours from now. So this doesn't sound like a great plan. Yeah, I used to hope it's out of control for uh, 20 years. I've been complaining about it for 20 years. 20 yeah. years. Yeah, and that's what created this this yep. epidemic. So yep. so the idea is that that somehow 
there's good going to come. I don't know when. Um, I do like one thing Obama said, don't expect a Messiah. Though he tried to present himself as a Messiah. I found that like kind of strange. But, but he literally there, did. there is no Messiah. Come. Well, you think Trump's a Messiah. I mean, everybody's, no, Trump, everybody's looking for a Messiah. There's no, no Messiah. Think, you think Trump's this, a wrecking ball. This thing is <laughs> us. <laughs> it's us. We're the Messiah. 300 million people. Yeah. Men, women, and children are the Messiah, and we need to start working together in coalition with each other, listening to each other, trying to find some solutions to just identify the problems. I think, you know, Trump, one thing that I was positive about Trump is he he talked constantly talked about protectionism and not being the cops of the world, then gets into office like every other politician we got to go to south korea we got to go to the middle east we got to go to saudi arabia we got to do this no, no, no. Well, but we're not taking i mean like we took military action in syria because we just flattened an airfield but i mean like we got no we went to north korea with the with the the threat of strength but with peace in mind it was the reagan you know am i, I stupid to just think north korea is china's problem it's japan's well, problem it is but south korea then becomes our problem i don't believe that China or Japan are really soliciting us to get involved. We just tell them we're involved. Well, that What I thought Trump would do is say, hey, 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 because he's so crazy about expenditures of yeah, money. Yeah. Like, listen, if, if you want hey, us to way, be involved. I don't mind him being crazy about expenditures of money. Jesus Christ, our government just overspends all the time. Thankfully, yeah. thank glad somebody's crazy about the expenditures. He, the biggest expenditure of the Trump era is a military expenditure. You want more military? He said he wasn't going to spend money. Then you got the biggest pork barrel military well, thing of all time. So, yeah, the, so the, don't, the big spending bill sucked. But let me tell you, like on on this thing, like look. Trump, everyone's like, everyone's going to have some problem with Trump. I say Trump's not perfect, but he's perfect for me. You know, right. he is like, he is everything I wanted to, to, you know, secede for, or to, but you to have come to after have the- a second part. So Trump comes in right. with a wrecking ball. What is your plan after that? Because this is not going to solve anything. So the, the wrecking ball is like, honestly, and I talk about this all the time. Like I have friends who are like, oh, civil war's coming. Like I got my guns. I'm like, you morons. People, are, you ever met the American yeah. public? They're so lazy. They're not going to have a civil war. Yeah. Well, here's what I, you know, I was on some with someone the other day and I, I got a lot of blowback from it, but I was like, yo, look, who do you think you're talking to? You have, let's, let's call it. There's, there's, it's just like the civil war where you have 10% on either side fighting and the rest of the people just trying to survive. So let's, let's call it, you know, you have 20 million people who are, who would actually engage in something further than rhetoric in, if a civil war broke out, you know, the shot heard around the world. And so I, I talked to him, I was like, look, you, you're talking to, you talk to 20 million conservative gun owners that are willing to go to war. Most of us are veterans. We have more guns than any other world or military, or anything combined. We have 700 trillion rounds of stocked ammunition. The other side can't even figure out which bathroom to use. And like, I don't want my cut. I mean, there's at the end a third of the day, category, like, no, but I, I, I don't know about that. There's a third category. I've thought about it and I just think it's never going to happen. But there's a third category. Of course, liberals and, and do-gooders don't have guns. Right. That, that's a simple argument to make. Who do have guns are criminals. Yeah. And so if you start a civil war, you're going to have an unrest. You're going to have a triangulation of violence in America that, oh. that your, your guys, you and your guys are not prepared for. 
Yeah, but <laughs> stay, stay with me here. So here's what's going to happen. Let, let's say, um, and I actually wrote an op-ed on this a while back. So here's what's going to happen. You, you bring in your third party. That's fine. So there's, let's say it starts with two. You have, I mean, you always have criminals on that are, you know, believe in both sides. You're going to have the criminals on one side say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay low for a second. Let this happen. You know, the, the left is going to riot with their Molotov cocktails and their masked faces. And, you know, then they're going to go get a latte while protesting capitalism. And then the conservatives, we're largely not going to be an offensive force. Like, I, I, I know a lot of people that are like, I know. So what you're going to, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like, you're I, I not, go out and like find people. But you're setting off urban warfare that your mm-hmm. mostly rural population or suburban population is not going to be involved in. So the whole country right. is going to burn. So, well, so, no, so check this out. So what will happen is – No, is, I've, I've listened – you never listened to all the radical right stuff? No. Oh, you got to no, listen to some podcasts. Oh, my God. Oh, dude. So, so listen, listen, listen. Here's Drew, where it gets interesting. Drew doesn't want to imagine this. No. So what's, this here's where it gets really interesting is you're going to have conservatives fighting mainly defensive postures or holding their ground. And you're going to have the liberal faction with their Molotov cocktails like you know business terrorism. And so what's going to happen is – Conservatives respect law enforcement. We respect military. Most of us are law enforcement and military. So when you know there's discourse, what happens? Martial law or the cops are going to crack down and conservatives are going to stand down. We're going to say, hey, look, we're not fighting cops. I don't care if you get in the middle of this or not. We're not going to fight cops. We're not going to fight military. And then it'll be essentially the military versus the left. And then with conservatives willing to back them up, house, shelter, assist in any way possible. And, you'll and you're going right to have back the, where the, you were. You'll just well, be right back where but, you were and nothing will yeah, be accomplished. Yeah, but you're, what you're going to have is you're going to have this crackdown. So it's going to drive the extreme left even further left. And then you're going right. to tamper a lot of the resistance. Like, look, I don't think it's, it's a good thing either way. But I do think like we got to go back to the days where it's OK to punch someone in the face sometimes. Honestly, if it avoids what you guys are talking about, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm assuming this is some sort of weird fantasy you guys are having. No, I just because I became a, I don't like censorship, so I started listening. To, what's the guy that got censored off of Alex Google? Jones. Alex Jones. Started listening to some of his stuff, and then when you there's links off of his stuff, yeah. and I started listening to this. This civil war is a big conspiracy God. thing, right? And and I just when I read this one guy's blog, I thought, no, that's not what's going to happen. I live in Los Angeles. I lived in New York for years. I go to Chicago. It's going to be the the LA riots yeah. with no one to stop it. Mm. Yeah. At least for a month, or at least for 3 oh, weeks. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, eventually it'll get taken care of. You get you'll get martial See, law. See, he's scaring you cuz he's talking about like it's going to happen. I'm just saying, no, I, don't no, I don't think anything's going to be accomplished by it. Right. So yeah. where what are, what are we going to do? What is going to get us out of this? So honestly, like if let's say you know what gets this is this this new like courage of of a lot of these antifa protesters that you know throw a rock or shout in your face or the thing like you go back to 1960 or let's say let you go back to you know whatever you know 1940s during the war effort okay if you came home and you yelled in a certain soldier's face that guy would turn around punch you in the face and no cop would arrest him for that right at least not not many like let's go you know let's let's honestly sit back for a sec and say you know basic human decency like if someone takes a bullhorn and shouts in my face you know, I always see these protesters that are all violent. So I've literally never – I've been on TV and said, look, I'll be at Starbucks at, in this town at this time. Come and talk to me if you have a problem. Nobody ever comes to talk to me. One guy had me sign his book once. But um, you're, you, you have to go back to a place where these people need to know that if you shout in someone's face with a bullhorn, you might get punched in the mouth. I, I, but then what does that accomplish? It, it, you know, everybody kind of 
relaxes a little bit once they realize like, oh, okay, yeah, I can't just like do whatever I want. And, you know, I got to get out of my mom's basement and realize that this is reality. And I, I think that that's going to calm everybody down. But right now it's so uptight. Like if I, if someone gets in my face and I even push them out of my face, I could be charged with assault and everyone's got an iPhone. And I mean, it's just like, it's gotten so ridiculous. It's like, you know, Ben Shapiro, I, I listened to his podcast and he said, you know, just be a mensch, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing there, but he said, just be a good guy. Don't, don't try, go out and try to piss someone off. And to be honest, like, the problem is, is these people are so willingly pissing other people off on, the, on the, these Antifa folks that are complete jokes. They, yeah, uh, I mean, to, I, I, not to play devil's advocate, but it seems like I have to. Walking around with tiki torches and Bermuda pants and chanting Nazi things is not the greatest thing either. Oh, dude, <laughs> look, people who espouse those views, like, I, despite what CNN says about me, like, I hate that stuff. I think that that is the dumbest thing in the world. It's not productive. If you want to go chant about white power, I mean, you got a problem. Well, then I'll tell you a funny thing because I, I, I like this conversation. I hope we can continue it another time. So my son was one of the 1% protesters in Wall Street. Oh, God. And he was? Yeah. And He's camped, like, he camped down there? Yes. Did he, he live in, in your Baltimore, basement? Right? So listen. So I said – Who's your godfather? And he, he named like all of the people you grew up with are the one percenters. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah. So you hate everyone that you grew up loving and who took you on camping trips and like well, I don't understand this. What do you say? He didn't really have an answer. There, it's just such a mob mentality and yeah. such a yeah. uh, it's a it's a, yeah. it's a social, social environment and it's girls and yeah. it's like it's a lot of things. It, but it was just so crazy. And then Drew frighteningly told me I was a one percenter. I don't like that. I don't go with those statistics. <laughs> what well, is a one percenter? Like, Quarter million a year? Something like that, yeah. That's not it's, true. It's top five percent for sure. For sure. What? Top five percent for sure. Oh, then I'm in the top five. Okay. Well, so you, let me tell you how the Republicans have can can start working towards this, because I'm you know, I'm a pretty ardent Republican, um, is social issues. I mean, we lost the Republicans lost the battle on social issues for whatever reason. We played it wrong. We snatched, you know, defeat from the jaws of victory on that one. Look, I say now, you want to be gay, go be gay. Fine. Who cares? It's not going to, you know, like, it doesn't destroy the economy, which is our parties. If you want to have an abortion, I'm not a pro-life. I mean, I'm pro-life. I'm not pro-choice. Go have an abortion. Just don't expect me to pay for it. Like, Republicans start doing that and start crossing out. A lot of reasonable liberals will be like, actually, you know, I might be able to find a place in the Republican Party because there's a ton of people. Well, you know who's going to do that? George W. until 9-11, W. was going to do both of those things plus immigration, what you said. Yeah. Well, immigration, look, build the wall and build it as high as you can. I mean, I don't want birds flying over that thing. I mean, that's – I think that you got to rock, you know, rock down so you on the always immigration. Go, uh, you always go to the, the Mexican immigrants. It's just like that's not who America wants. The, the, the immigration thing is tech people from, from India – Pakistan, yeah. right? And so this whole thing of like, oh, you know, I, I, have you ever seen the movie A Day Without Mexicans? No. So watch <laughs> that just for a second. Los Angeles could not survive. Wait, 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 wait. So, so what do you want? What would you like? What? Would you like an open border? No, we no need, border. Const- I agree with W, we need constructive immigration reform. Yeah. Right. And he was leading it until 9-11 so, happened. So what would that look and like? And then the whole thing became uh, what it's I'll tell you what now. it looks like. Yeah. 
if you get a higher degree in the United States of America at one of our universities, I will staple a green card to that degree. Yes. Somebody there else said go. that. Wait a minute. Who else said that? Right George, here, did you, George did, W. Did Bush. You say, did you say that on my radio show? I said it on your radio okay. show. Okay. That was I love I love <laughs> yeah. that. I I've heard that he said that to me once before and I loved but it. But where did you originally hear it? That was the Bush policy. No, 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 no. This is the Higby in policy. 2000. <laughs> he, listen, listen carefully what he said. You get a higher degree, you get a BA from an American university, he's going to yeah. stip- staple a green card to your diploma. I know. And then, yeah, exactly. and, then, and then move you on to naturalization. If appropriate. Because I don't want you going back to India, founding a call center, employing 500 of their people. I want you to bring that money to my country. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. that, that lo- well, he said that once. Right, I'm, I'm on with that. that okay, so here's another, Sign me up. here's another thing. I was just in Milwaukee. It's a, a town that's coming back from, from they, you know, I've met liberal people, left people, center people, Republicans. I was there. It was the greatest weekend I've had in a long time. Well, hang on a second. In Milwaukee? And in Milwaukee. Well, I, was in North, right? I, was North, I just want to point out, I was in North Dakota at the same kind of experience. And isn't it interesting that it's the media and people inside the Beltway that are making us all feel like we're crazy? Yeah, but let the me tell you what is, they were saying. Go ahead. They're so angry about NAFTA, including the who I coined, started calling him, you're my commie friend because yeah. he's way left, but yeah. he hates NAFTA. Yeah. Because his dad taught him to hate NAFTA, and it's a multi generational hating yeah. of NAFTA in Milwaukee because Bill Beer left and Sprockets left yeah. and everything. I said, you know what? Spacey the main Sprockets. thing that the unions, the disservice they did was if you work for a company, you get $136,000 a year from when you retire till you die. If you got rid of that, the jobs would come back, the companies would come back. Because I think that these companies would prefer to be in the United States. Of course, of course. Right? They can't afford it. The, yeah. It's the pensions. If you could just solve the pensions of the unions and of federal workers, that's why you have 1,500,000 federal county, workers. County, too, I know. For God's sake. And so, so there's a solution that I think is a bipartisan solution. We have to find a way to properly compensate skilled workers where they don't, on top of Social Security, because I don't get a pension. Mm-hmm. That's why I've got to save money and make money and mm-hmm. do. That's right. And and that idea that that everybody's entitled to this pension is what doomed the American industries. I think does that yeah. make any sense to you? Oh uh, yeah. I mean, the other thing too is with with all this controversy going back and forth now is you have to find. Look, you're never going to appeal to that. Three or four percent of the left that is just so ardently opposed to Donald Trump. But you have to find the middle ground. And some of those things, like nobody wants to make concessions anymore. That's the problem. But, but at at a point where entire parts of the United States are just a, a, a corroding wasteland in yeah, Detroit, in in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in parts of Milwaukee. There's these huge, huge factories that are just abandoned. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, wouldn't we like to have a solution where it created jobs and, and then the commie friend of mine said, you know what, millennials, because we talk about millennials a lot, millennials would prefer to make $5 an hour more than be promised a $136,000 pension 25 years from now. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's well, even a I mean, generation got- that's ripe for this. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, you got to look at the what happened, like how those things got there. Like the, a lot of those, like look at Detroit; it was a manufacturing giant. Times changed, it demographic shifted, but also, like I gotta say, like most 
you know, most of these major cities are liberal utopias run by Democrats for generations. And they're, you know, they're falling apart. I mean, you look at the electoral map, New York Times had this really detailed electoral map that they did. It was great. You look at that and the rural areas are all red and the cities are all blue. And it's because of, you know, they've created a, a false sense of reality within these bubbles of cities that for some reason elitists flock to. But what is it that makes people not vote in their best interest? The best example, I'll give you two examples. Most of the people that voted for Trump in the Rust Belt in West Virginia make less than $45,000 a year. The people mm-hmm. who benefited from the 21% capital gains tax are Warren Buffett, Bill Gates, billionaires and and 100 millionaires, and they voted for Hillary Clinton. So Americans are notorious for not voting for their best interests. Why is that? Well, first off, guys like Warren Buffett, it's because they had influence. That's why they voted for her. Second off, when you got guys like Trump out there, you know, he, he... He's not a polished PR machine. Huh. He talks like a normal person. But here's the other thing, too. Hey, listen to a- me. There's, I know an area that you don't know. Billionaires have known Trump for 40 years. They know how he works. They, they've quoted to me, that's just Trump being Trump. They know him. They know how to work him. They know how to get what they want from him, and they have for 40 years. So this yeah, idea but- that he's this rebel, no. Let, I, I correct you on that. I actually know. Look, I'm he's- from Greenwich, Connecticut, man. Like, I am from the hashtag white privilege So you capital. know that they all know Trump. So, yeah, and, but here's the thing. is like, I know dudes, like, very prominent people that I'm not going to say their names on this show, but they are friends with Trump, and they're like, I, you know, I, I wanted to do something for him. I wanted to help him out, and he just, dude, just won't listen to me. And I'm like, good. You know, good. He, I don't he want to listen to transactional transactional things that benefit him and his family. Well, not, Everybody knows that. But right now, what benefits him is creating a great presidency. That's all he seems interested. Yeah, in. Scaramucci. I've gotten to know. You know, right. you know that? And he said the exact same thing. He's like, I'm telling you, just please, just shut up for a minute. Don't have the war with the press. So you get it. So you get on with this stuff to make your. I I guarantee know, if somebody could get his ear, if you could get his ear and tell him, listen, you are harming. Your business interests. You need to be more thoughtful about the things you say because he wants people of privilege to go to his hotels no, and buy knows, his steaks. He knows what he's doing. Not, he's not yeah, he no, he knows damn well what he's doing. Move. You got to let, legacy, you let Trump legacy. be Trump. His he, policies he are the there right and they're, wor- they're winning. Yeah. yeah, And they're winning? I don't think they're winning. We'll see November 8th if they're winning. Who, oh they, yeah, big bet, big bet. We keep the house, gain four seats in the Senate. Really? That's your bet? Oh yeah, I think we lose maybe three or three to five seats in the house. That is that, a pretty aggressive. Yeah. Boy, wow. Why, well, uh, I can't wait to talk to you on November tenth. <laughs> Shall we put money on this? <laughs> I think it's, I think the house stays the same and and the flips to Congress, right? If oh. flip, flips what? Well, keep, I mean, Senate stays the same. It'll be yeah, 50-50-50-52-48. I'm going to say I'm going to say a mixed uh, legislature may not be a bad thing. You got well, you got McCaskill, Mansion, Hyde Camp, and uh, you know a couple others that are really in the hot seat. I for think the you'd be surprised at how impactful on suburban Republican women separating children away from their mothers was. I think you're underappreciating that. Mm-hmm. Like, and we'll uh, leave well, it. We'll leave it at that. Okay. Okay. 
We'll see, because, you know, then it just gets, oh, it's going to be this, going to be that. I can't wait to see. I don't really care. It doesn't affect my life in any way. But, yeah. but, I mean, my, but my mom's a pretty big, like, earthy, I don't want to say hippie, but she's, like, earthy and, like, really soft-hearted person. And she was like, hey, like, at some point, you got to think about the fact that they just shouldn't have come here illegally. Yeah, well, she's not the, the, the majority. Let me do a I couple emails say. before we kind of... Yeah, yeah, let's have some emails. Uh, Stay on it, with it. Isn't it necessary at least to be at least a little narcissistic for one's own life to feel significant enough to care about stuff like ambition and longevity above and beyond duty and kindness to ameliorate the suffering of others? So isn't a little bit of narcissism good? Well, I found it is for me. <laughs> it, it absolutely is. <laughs> There, there's the, the people that score super low on the narcissistic scale. We, we worry about some of the stuff, right? And, yeah. and and there's primary narcissism, which is sort of a primitive thing. But there's sort of a secondary narcissism that is, uh, you know, it's it's appropriate to be concerned about yourself. And that, it's what it's what uh, Alexis to talk to talk. I always think about it as Alexis to talkville's term: self-interest properly understood. Well understood. If he, if it, if it really That's is the a French it, guy, yeah, it's like yeah. an enlightened self-interest. That's one of Drew's favorite guys, by the way. If yeah. you want to know, oh, you quote him probably more than because no one because it's such a great. The Frenchman came here in 1822 and to wrote study, a book, observed to, a culture. He, and, well, he was supposed to study the penitentiary system. They oh, were, really? That's he, what he came for? Because they were the model for the world, the penitent system. They were penitentiaries, and they were getting people out and rehabilitated. And he used that as he raised money through the aristocracy in France to come over here and used that as a ruse to come study what the hell is going on over here. And he wrote a book called Democracy in America. Yeah, and uh, and it's 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 a it was great 1860s, 1820s. Oh, but it's a great bird's eye view. He met everybody. He met Andrew Johnson, Andrew Jackson. I mean, he just he just you know was was in it. And it's this great analysis that prevails. This hey, is that predicted- person fearful they don't have any narcissism yeah. or trying well, to defend that they have a lot of it. I think they're hearing me talk about it a lot and worried they might have too much. That's okay. It. So <laughs> so and and to talk, Phil. Um, oh crap! I lost my train of thought. Um, oh, he predicted things like America and Russia being the two great superpowers in the 20th century. He predicted that. He pre- he he had a real problem with slavery. He had a problem with how we were handling North American Indians and Native American Indians. And he really and he just nailed all of it. He just he just has clairvoyant. Uh, let's see. Hey, did you guys see that Sonoma lawmaker? There's an email on Rachel Hundley who had a picture uh, at Burning Man, kind of in a risque outfit. It looked cool actually, and she got just crushed. She's a. She had to resign. She they. She's a city council. She's in the race for city council in Sonoma, and uh, she just got a bunch of crap. And I'm 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 supporting her. So what? She it wore was a, a little skanky though. My you, wife didn't like. Here's it. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Burning Man. So I went to the third one when it was in the it was in Death Valley, right? Mm-hmm. And now about. Three years ago, I was doing a, an event with Stacy Matthewson up in Reno, Nevada, for the for the sober dorms, and the airports were crowded, and you couldn't get a rental car, and it was crazy, and it's all these people renting these you know SUVs to go to Burning Man. They fly in, yeah. stay in fancy hotels, they, they, drive out in these spend, limousine they SUVs. Spend like something like it's not dollars. Burning Man anymore. It's like Coachella. It's well, it's even it's more. It's an arts installation. But no. no, but the the people that used to go there were what you thought, like homeless hacky sack people <laughs> with v- Volkswagens and stuff, and now it's like Learjet people flowing into Reno. What's the best treatment for high functioning alcoholic in a corporate as- atmosphere? Prefer coworkers don't know about my treatment. 
Take him to the gym. No, go to AA. Just go to 12-step. <laughs> yes, go to the gym, but go to 12-step. Start going. Raise your hand. It's anonymous. You know, everybody has a different opinion of that. My friends, and some of them are your close friends, that are the most outspoken, they seem the most comfortable. What do you mean? Right? To just say, I went to rehab. I'm sober. Yeah, I'm yeah, happy. Sure. If you had a problem with that, let's talk. Well, these you days, know, people understand it's a medical be, problem with a medical but, treatment. So. But the medical profession tends to say, don't do that. Don't do that. Well, it's weird they would because that, that's how you rise stigma. There's a guy named Stephen Hinch who wrote a book called The Mark. He wrote a book about his own family's bipolar disorder. And his mother, his dad had severe bipolar. And his mother was told by the doctor, don't tell the kids. It will ruin them. Ruin, <laughs> ruin the kids if you tell the kids that your dad has bipolar disorder. Uh, what do you think about ketamine infusion therapy for depression? You I'm, talked about that in the last uh, podcast. I, it's a great I want some thing. intravenous ketamine right away if it's helpful. I'm not sure I'd give it to drug addicts. <laughs> but, oh, here you go for you guys. Uh, my question relates to Colin Kaepernick. What if anything has he or any of the other kneeling players? Screw that done? guy. Well, hold on. He's a nice guy. I've met him. He's actually a good Kaepernick? guy. He is a good guy. I'm telling you something. He is. Uh, can't play quarterback for shit. I don't know why we're talking about him all the time. Well, yeah. I, I separate what he did from what the other players are doing. I really can, you playing because... can you get Kaepernick on my radio show and we'll have it out and maybe I'll agree with you if he ends up being such a nice guy? He, he is a, he's a pretty, really nice guy. Well, he went to a military person to ask what to do. I do know that. The, yeah. Yep, that's yeah, a military I, I person to told ask him, what kind of wine to buy my wife, but that doesn't mean why, why did the military person tell him that, that kneeling would be the best thing? Why is that a part of the military? Not at all, dude. I mean, like honestly, there's I know a lot of military guys that, given the opportunity, they'd lay him out like a like a good old fashioned sack. Well, I mean, I, I mean, I don't think acting like eighth graders on the playgrounds can solve anything, actually. But p- punching people and all this kind of stuff, I just find it fascinating. Some, that sometimes it does. He, it feels really good sometimes. He can't. He couldn't get a job before the kneeling. Right. He was over in football. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The. To make him this icon is strange to me. It's like it's very strange to me. But I do like that Nike's willing to take a, a take a, a swipe. B- because this is a swipe back at what all of us are talking about, which is this mob mentality. Yeah, yeah. Now the mob mentality fueled by a president who wants to talk about football more than he wants to talk about the opioid crisis. I got yeah. a real problem with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Although I'm fearful but that, that, that mob felt- thing. And Nike said, "Listen, if we take a hit on our stock, we don't care. We're, we believe in this." No, they care. <laughs> They care. They're just willing to take the risk. You and, don't think they did a cost analysis of that? Yeah, I'm sure they did. And, yeah. and, they're willing to and they risk. did it anyway. So that's they, not caring. I, I'm more worried about the NFL. I'm worried that, that those guys... I think the NFL is over because of concussions. Basketball is going to be the number one sport in America within you 10 know, years. I, I didn't even know the season had started. That's how much I loved Well, if the you NFL. saw the first game on Thursday, it was the most boring. And Trump tried to say, oh, it's because of the kneeling. It was so fucking boring, I turned it off. Well, it was 6-3 to three I, I just, in the I, third my, quarter. My fear is these guys with these giant salaries, they're going to screw themselves. They really are going to mess no, that the NFL up. Is, 100-something million dollars. The NFL, NFL is on its way. And, and that's another thing that the NFL kind of th- – thing with Kubernetes, it's just so crazy to me that he's the guy when why didn't why didn't the 
right if they wanted to make a victim, make it out of a star player that was kneeling in those first two years. Because really, it's his. It's his. Th- he started. He's his. Is his idea, right? I'm just. I'm and a. Don't bi- even- I'm a big sports fan, by the way. I just want to tell you, I was so pissed that they got rid of Alex Smith, who was a great quarterback, to bring this kid in, and he didn't pan out. Alex Smith went to Kansas City, was a great winning quarterback. Now he's gone to. Washington, he's going to be a great winning quarterback, but somehow he doesn't meet all the analytics and all the bullshit of football. The guy has like a 76% winning rate, but he can't throw a 70-yard touchdown pass perfectly. So what, Do you know uh, this? No, I don't. But what's so Alex point? Smith was the quarterback of the 49ers. Yeah, yeah. Kubernick was his backup. Yeah, yeah. They then just decided because of Kubernick's abilities to run the run yeah. and gun and yeah. and get out of the pocket and all that to replace a winning quarterback. From the moment Kubernick went in there, Kaepernick. they lost Kaepernick. They lost. Yeah. And then he was out of football in two years. Yeah. Alex Smith has been winning and winning and winning. And that's are you, a, are you a 49ers fan? Huh? You a 49ers fan? No, I just was this Alex Smith fan. He's a, he's a guy that he's a guy that shouldn't be in football. He's beating all odds. All right, that's cool. And he's amazing. Yeah. All right. That's and cool. Look, he I'm should a, be I'm a, a Jets hero. fan, and my Jets haven't won ever. Yeah. <laughs> 1964. Mark Sanchez. Yeah. Mark Sanchez, baby. Yeah, he was the dream. Team one one team year. Right. One year. They won a, uh, their first uh, playoff game, right? All right, you guys, we've got to kind of wrap everything <laughs> yeah, up. We're, we're I, drifting I, into the NFL. Uh, Carl, tell us again the books. Uh, books are first one, enemy – or sorry, read the, fir- read the second book first, Enemies Foreign and Domestic, and then read the second book, Battle on the Home Front. Okay. And you can get them on Amazon or whatever. Make sure you go to carlhigby.com to get my podcast. It's on iTunes. Just type in my name. Great. Um, and we talk all kinds of stuff just like this. I'm, I'm amazed that you and Bob agreed on as much things as you did. We agreed on a lot. I know. I wasn't sure where this was going to go. So I'm, 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 not, I'm not the far-right extremist that the CNN makes me out to be. Well, and, and by you the don't, same you token, don't have to be. They can make me out to be a far-right extremist. That's what I was going to say. But it's, it's interesting to me to watch guys like Bob drift around. Well, I don't know. He probably doesn't know the history. I went on social media early on in the election. I said, I wouldn't vote for Hillary Clinton if she was the last candidate on earth. So I guess I'm not voting. <laughs> People wanted to kill me. Yeah, I I never seen anything like it. Like uh, people yeah. that like me were mad at me, like in a really serious way. Yeah. And, yeah. and and so Drew well, and I started to bond over that about two years ago. Yeah, and, and it, <laughs> yeah, and, and it's it's well, just the the being the oppressed by the mob is what we were bonding about. Yeah, and, and I I just I, I had never had it before. Well, I I wrote a book on narcissism, and in, in, in I want to write a chapter about the French Revolution because I thought that was a direct result of childhood trauma and narcissism, and I was wanted to predict also that the guillotines would come out here in this country. Here we are. It's on, I never never imagined something called social media, but that's where the guillotines are executed or, or doing their their dirty work. I did want guillotines with the Lehman Brothers thing. I really did. You wanted people. Nate, Nate and I had a podcast back then. He was a little scared of some of the stuff I was saying. Remember when I said we need a guillotine out Reed, front of Lehman a, Brothers? There's a, there's a Warren Buffett. <laughs> there's a Warren Buffett interview out right now about bubbles, and he says that the bubbles all formed on sound propositions. They're all formed on sound propositions, but you know, human nature runs runs them amok. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a really interesting article. Well, it's about time for athletes, trainers to report for the start of the fall season, but we are still dealing with that extreme heat. So even if you're training indoors, dehydration is a major issue for amateurs and pros. Water, sports drinks, they do not do a great job. I've known this for a long time. That's why I wanted to develop a product. Instead, Hydrolyte came along, so I strongly suggest you stay ahead of your hydration 
with Hydrolyte. The best way to stay hydrated is with a proper balance of sodium, glucose, and water. And Hydrolyte does this better than anything else I've tried. Everyone here swears by it. My wife, my kids, my patients. I use it if patients need rehydration. It's a way to replete hydration orally. This gets you ahead of the game. And so you can sometimes avoid hospitalization things in my experience. Hydrolyte comes in great flavors like orange berry and lemonade. Available as a pre-mixed drink, a powder, or my personal preference is these effervescence tablets. You simply drop in a glass of water or a bottle of water. Literally, uh, we don't leave home without these. Compared to sports drinks, Hydrolyte delivers up to four times the electrolytes with 75% less sugars. Hydrolyte solutions are appropriate for all ages, and each bottle or package includes easy-to-follow instructions. This is the best hydration product out there, period, and you can find Hydrolyte at Rite Aid or at hydrolyte.com slash drdrew, D-R-D-R-E-W. And for a limited time, our listeners can save 30% on Hydrolyte just sent my daughter over to buy this stuff. She's like, I need Hydrolyte. I'm like, go to the website and use the code DrDrew18, D-R-D-R-E-W-18 at checkout. That is H-Y-D-R-A-L-Y-T-E.com, Hydrolyte.com, slash D-R-D-R-E-W-18. To use that code, get 30% off. You won't need any other hydration products. It's the best. Uh, uh, well, it's right. been a great, interesting Carl. talk. Now I'm going to think the rest of the night about this crap, and I just want to be with my kids. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm taking real estate in your mind. Uh, <laughs> all right, Carl. Appreciate you Thank being you here. Thank you so much. And, uh, good luck with Thanks the podcast. So much, guys. And we'll talk, okay, talk to you at KBC. All right. We'll see you next time. Appreciate it. Bye. All right, that's about it for this episode of This Life. Check us out at KBC, being uh, Lawrence Vaughn, 790 Midday Live Talk Radio, Monday to Friday. You can also tune in every day live via the magic of the internet at kbc.com. If you miss it, we've made it simple for you to find all the shows at drdrew.com, the Adam and Dr. Drew podcast, the Zing One I Do By Myself, Dr. Drew podcast, This Life, of course, with Bob Swole Patrol, Mike Cantho, and his new health and fitness podcast. You can uh, find us on Twitter at This Life Podcast, at Dr. Drew, Dairy W, at Rehab Bob Forrest, and of course, our lovely producer at First Lady of Love. I think I know who that is. If you love this show, please subscribe and tell a friend. We appreciate it when you do. We'd love to hear your feedback as well. Send us a message. Join the email list at drdrew.com, drdrew.com slash contact. You'll also get a weekly uh, email from us on that. Uh, while you're at it, at doctor.com, please support our sponsors by clicking through the banners. We only advertise products that I can get behind. So thank you for supporting them, those that support us. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.